Hi there, and welcome to DevOps Sauna podcast. Efficode has organized the DevOps conference or its predecessors for a number of times. Last time in April 2021, over 10,000 people registered to the event. The DevOps conference is a community event where attendees do not have to pay for the participation, and we are happy to organize it again on March 8th and 9th, 2022. You are all wholeheartedly welcome to join the event and register at thedevopsconference.com. All of the speeches from the previous time are available online to watch. But to make it easier for people to enjoy these great speeches, we are also sharing them through our podcast. I hope you like them as much as I do. Dr. William Shirlis joining, who is the office director from the Information Innovation Office at DARPA. And I actually had to go back and look up what is the acronym DARPA, and it is Defense Advanced Research Project Agency. And if it doesn't ring a bell to some of you, their innovations and their contributions definitely does. The internet, GPS, Big Dog, which is the Boston Dynamics robot, cyborg insects, graphical user interfaces, mouse, onion rooting, which was new to me, but I had to go back and look it up a little uh, more deeply. Human universal load carrier, Hulk, which was uh, an exoskeleton that allows people to carry up to 200 pounds, 100 kilograms of loads at 10 miles or 15 kilometers, um, 15 kilometers per hour on a continued basis, which is quite impressive, and Siri to, to fill in this list. Dr. Shirley's builds on the perspectives granted from 60 years of these investments in AI capabilities. So he'll review the progress and prospects of artificial intelligence with emphasis on potential pathways to more trustworthy and reliable artificial intelligence. Thank you very much for that introduction. And I'm uh, very excited to speak with you today about, about trustworthy AI. And, and systems, and I want to thank the organizers for the uh, for the invitation. Um, this topic is is timely, uh, and I'm so I'm particularly pleased to have the opportunity to speak about it today. There's a, a surprising, surprisingly complex tangle of issues around the engineering of trustworthy AI, um, and there are uh, three related questions that I'm going to take up in this regard. Uh, the first is, is how can we do better with the current generation of machine learning systems? Um, can we make progress, any progress, towards trustworthiness with the current machine learning? You know, this is the machine learning that burst onto the scene about 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, it's still very much the, the zeitgeist of computing along with cloud and data and IoT. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, and then what can we do to advance uh, towards the next generation of AI capabilities? Um, trustworthiness, resiliency, uh, alignment with the context of, of the domains in which the AI is operating, uh, a little more versatile, maybe towards general intelligence, better able to interact with people. And then the third question is, is what are some paths forward to the engineering of trustworthy and secure systems generally? Uh, how can we make systems in a way that we can come to confident judgments of their trustworthiness. Um, so this is not the same as, as judgments of, about the system that we happen to have. Uh, it's about building and evolving systems in a way where we are designing to achieve trustworthiness uh, more readily. And of course, 
uh, keep in mind that trustworthiness is not the same as trust. Um, and then uh, how can we do this at scale and affordably and with a, a DevOps tempo? And you say, well, why not just do DevOps or do DevSecOps? Uh, the challenge for us uh, in government and also for large firms uh, is to do this with integration, with diverse sourcing, rich supply chains. So, so my talk has, has two main parts. First, uh, some a uh, little more DARPA station identification. In that regard, I appreciate the introduction. Um, uh, some words about AI and, and how we see it evolving. Um, I would say we're at the earliest stages of a very long history of AI still to unfold. Uh, we're really just at the beginning. We're not at a plateau. Um, and, and then uh, the second part of the talk is a closer focus on the engineering of trustworthy systems, what we might be able to do. And, and I'm gonna make an assertion, in fact, that now is really the right time uh, to be pushing on trustworthiness. Uh, we have strong motives to do so uh, for many reasons, one of which, not least, is, is to be able to assimilate AI into mainstream systems and, and to uh, build those systems in a way that we have this, uh, we have trustworthiness with regards to the critical attributes of quality and functionality that we care about. But I think also that we have the means and the opportunity to do so. So now a word about I2O. Um, I2O is one of six offices at, at DARPA. Uh, we have a, a website uh, with lots of details on, on the office and, and the many programs uh, that we operate. Uh, DARPA does no research in-house. Uh, it's entirely a funding agency. We sponsor uh, academic groups, in fact, around the world, uh, and, also, and also firms. Um, we solicit uh, proposals, and you can look for our solicitations, in fact, if you want to participate in our, in our programs. Um, in the office, we focus in four areas, how to prevail in cyber operations. Um, as you know, uh, all of us in all sectors are experiencing cyber operations continually. Uh, the stuff that we create in these programs goes right into use. Um, the picture here shows uh, an exercise in restoring operations on a, a malware-infested power grid. Uh, a second area is how to develop and sustain secure systems that must rapidly evolve. Uh, we call this the pipeline model. Um, it sounds a lot like DevOps and other SaaS methodologies, um, and it's also very much in line with practices at firms with primarily organic software practice, that is where the entire code base is managed in a uniform manner with full transparency. And in fact, I'll just mention as an aside, uh, there's a really great explanation of the benefits of this approach in a video that uh, Google put out uh, five years ago, released on YouTube. If you uh, search for Google repo video, uh, you'll find that. And it's a really good explanation of their billion line repository and the benefits of organic practice. Uh, well, all this is in, in sharp contrast to the usual arm's length contract-based processes familiar in governments and large firms everywhere. Uh, it's quite hard to support the pipeline model in this context with rich supply chains, contracted work, uh, lawyers, and the like. Um, and also because we have really intense security and safety requirements uh, and a constant uh, assault of, of adversaries. It pulls the technology quite aggressively. So the third area... Uh, in the lower right here is what uh, technologies can create confident success in the information domain. Confident really is the key word. Uh, despite lots of data, it's hard to draw inferences on, on what's going on in a particular influence operation. 
Um, and, and lots of technologies contribute to this, natural language processing, data analysis, and also modeling of social features that show up in, in language, such as uh, emotion, culture, affinity, and the like. Uh, early natural language processing really tended to focus on just the facts, uh, who, what, when, and where, uh, but we need to add these other dimensions to make sense of, of these influence operations. And then the fourth area, of course, is how to develop, develop and deliver AI that is proficient. Uh, proficient is the key word here. Uh, it means competent, robust, uh, trustworthy. You know, modern machine learning is great on the upside um, uh, when it's smart, uh, but it's also fragile, opaque, and dynamic. So I'm going to say more about uh, AI right now. Uh, so at DARPA, we've been involved with AI for 60 years already. Uh, we build AI. We also use AI. Uh, it's important for cyber operations, for autonomy, for understanding uh, information influence operations, for dealing with large bodies of data. It also has a role in the engineering of systems. It's everywhere in the agency. Uh, but in I2O, we're the computer science people. We have a primary uh, mission to advance our core capabilities. The history of AI goes, goes way back. Um, uh, just for fun, here's some dates. 1943 uh, was actually a, the, the key milestone in the origin of, of neural nets with McCullough and Pitts. Turing's test, 1950. The Dartmouth workshop that kind of kicked off symbolic AI, 1956. 20 people. They could all fit in one room with social distancing. Um, and, and the first uh, sim symbolic reasoning language, IPL, was developed in the same year. So now we fast forward to 2010, ML burst on the scene, entered the zeitgeist, and it's what many people think AI means, but AI is actually much broader. Um, all kinds of enablers uh, for that, uh, that sort of tipping point, not just 70 years of history of, of neural net thinking, but also, for example, gamers uh, uh, pushing the development of, of advanced graphic card capabilities and GPUs. Um, and access to data. So now, of course, any high school kid can build AI tools using all those wonderful Python libraries. Um, so th there's more to the, the, the story, of course. Um, uh, in the early years, the AI that we delivered was symbolic. Uh, this was the AI that I learned about as a student in the 1970s. Actually, I spent, I had really the great fortune to spend a year on a fellowship uh, at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland in the Department of AI, which they had back in the 1970s, uh, studying knowledge representation, search planning, robotics, formal methods, which was then part of AI and, and, uh, and, and the like. Um, symbolic AI was, was uh, characterized dually as either empirical epistemology, uh, experimenting with knowledge structures, or theoretical psychology, which is to say, uh, uh, trying to do, uh, understand how cognitive processes must unfold through the building of computational models. Um, so one of my predecessors at DARPA in this role, John Launchberry, identified TurboTax as an exemplar uh, of, of a symbolic reasoning system. It's a constrained domain. It embodies all the many tax rules of all the states and municipalities in the US, um, clear rules, constrained domains. Symbolic AI is easy to reason about. Uh, we, we understand the reasoning behind the conclusions that are reached, uh, so we have a, a, an ability to assess validity, um, but it has issues with scalability and brittleness, as you know, um, and it's also painstaking to construct and, and also to evolve. 
uh, DevOps and, and symbolic AI don't really harmonize too well. Um, and so this led to waves of hype and disappointment um, uh, with, with symbolic AI. Now, uh, statistical AI machine learning uh, also has a long history. Uh, it's more scalable. Um, uh, it gave rise, as, as, as uh, my introducer mentioned, uh, gave rise to Siri, spun out of a DARPA project, and also all manner of, of uh, machine learning ads, for example, for face recognition, celebrity faces, and the like. Uh, but it isn't robust. Um, and it's also super hard to reason about. Uh, fragile here means that it's easily spoofed. Um, uh, in fact, that's the one thing that's reliable about machine learning is, is that uh, uh, we, we can reliably uh, spoof these networks. A few stickers on the stop sign, you've all seen that. Maybe you've seen the eyeglass case where a, a few pixels uh, around the rims of your eyeglasses uh, can, can reliably misdirect a net. Uh, but it's also opaque. Uh, it's a it's a sea of nodes and coefficients. It's hard to understand uh, why and how it got to con gets to conclusions. Um, you know this this creature here uh, in a in a in a net designed to identify breeds of of, of dogs and canines generally. Uh, you, you know it's a wolf, right? But do you know why it's it, it deemed a wolf? Well, it's not because of the morphology, it's because of the snow in the background, right? And so uh, the other problem is actually it's, it's, it's transparent when you want it to be opaque, just to flip it around, uh, which is, uh, I'm referring to model inversion where it can actually analyze a network and extract from it uh, particular training cases where I thought maybe I protected the privacy uh, or the, the security of those individual cases, but in fact, maybe not so much. And of course, it's dynamic because it continues to learn. And also, I just mentioning these points about ethics and bias. Uh, unlike orthodox experimental science, uh, where data serves hypotheses, uh, in AI, we often start with data. Uh, we're not thinking about social science or empirical studies 101, where we, where we think carefully about the selection of data and the choice of independent and dependent variables. And so we have abundant opportunity to create bias. Um, often our choice of variables is opportunistic, and, and so that, that pushes us in the wrong direction. Um, I also want to say that we've had fears of automation and autonomy uh, going way back. Uh, you may be familiar with a Asimov's Laws. Um, this is from uh, a comic book, Magnus Robot Fighter, in the 1960s. Uh, but of course, before this, there was the Golem of Prague, uh, made famous in the 16th century, but a concept that was around before then. We have good reasons to fear uh, uh, deployment outside of the envelope of ad ad advisory activity, uh, which is, I would say, perhaps the main commercial use case. Um, it's, it's, benefits are on the upside, but they don't necessarily always add risk. The, the cases where we accept risk are, are very narrow and constrained. Uh, for example, uh, vehicles on, on a limited access highway. Um, and so the, the challenge uh, of uh, trustworthiness and accountability really uh, loom large for us. So at, at DARPA, we, we've had a long history. Uh, as was noted, it goes back 60 years. Um, and here's an illustration of that. Um, and and the, you can see that we've had waves of expectation and waves of disappointment. This y-axis on this chart is kind of notional funding. Uh, the Brit Britain also had AI winters, ask some of the old folks. 
um, there. It's uh, interesting stories. Uh, uh, DARPA has used the term wave one and wave two to refer to symbolic and statistical. Of course, they both continue. Uh, but now we have uh, waves three and four. Uh, wave three refers to harmonizing symbolic and statistical. Uh, we call this reasoning and context. Uh, there are good reasons to believe that this is key to trustworthiness and explanation. Um, and we also want to uh, help AI systems do better at learning by learning how to learn. Think about it. We reflect on our capacity to learn, uh, uh, to assimilate uh, new ideas effectively, to manage ourselves. So I'm going to call this wave four metacognition. Metacognition is also an idea with a long history. Alan Newell was, was exploring this back in the early 80s even. Um, and then some people say that it's actually a precondition for, for wave three. And also, uh, it's a precondition for self-moderation, uh, knowing what you know, knowing what you don't know, assessing the confidence of the conclusions that, that you reach. And so here's an example of contextual reasoning. Um, just to illustrate, uh, we can look at this image and, and what do we see? We see a, a person sitting on a sofa with a bowl of popcorn. Uh, but what can we infer from our domain knowledge? Well, probably watching TV, uh, being surprised, um, maybe it's near the beginning of, of a movie or a, 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 why is that? Because the popcorn bowl is full, right? Uh, there's no beer um, in sight, so probably not, not uh, the ball game, right? So we, we're inferring quite a bit uh, from, from context. So this slide summarizes some of the challenges that we see facing us in AI. Uh, uh, we call this focus proficient AI, as I noted. Um, and, and so I just want to mention some of the challenges. Uh, first is how to gain trustworthiness. Uh, we care about trustworthiness because we care about autonomy. Uh, in, in the world of defense, um, autonomy has become very important, uh, but autonomy requires trustworthiness. It's more than just trust the supplier. It's not about trust. You know, we ran a few test cases or we ran a lot of test cases. We really have to be very confident that the autonomous systems will operate uh, as close as possible to 100% of the time in a way that's safe and secure and consistent with the rules of the road. Uh, the, the, the U.S. Defense Department is, is concerned about this enough that nine years ago they issued a directive uh, uh, called Autonomy and Systems. You can look it up online and find it and read it. Um, and so it highlights the point. Uh, why do we want autonomy? Well, there's safety and there's scale, uh, uh, but it's also... Uh, that the modern military engagement really needs to operate at speeds faster than thought. Um, we learned about this, for example, in the Cyber, cyber Grand Challenge. Okay, uh, uh, let me jump down a little bit. We want to also uh, learn how to support effective human system partnering. Uh, this actually is a problem that gets harder as time goes by, not easier. It, this is not about what color the pixels should be. Uh, uh, this is about how humans and systems, as systems get smarter, which is why the problem gets harder, uh, can interact in, in an effective manner uh, where there's, there's the, the right kind of mixed initiative, uh, the, the systems are non-obtrusive and not, not annoying. Um, and, and so to, to make this work, uh, we really need a lot of technical enablers, human language technology, but we also need epistemic models, uh, which is models of knowledge and belief. Uh, what are the right framing of concepts for communication? 
what is the attentional state of the human, uh, what's the emotional state of the human, uh, that's all going to influence how we interact. Think about how you interact with your, your team members and partners. And also task information and the roles of team members. Uh, think about you know, commander data or C3PO. Uh, as the AI gets smarter, the, this, the problem gets harder. And then the last point I want to make on this slide uh, is how to get by with less data. Uh, self-supervised learning, transfer learning, and so on. Um, this is important in, in domains where data is scarce and, ex and, 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 expen and expensive. You know, we can learn things uh, uh, without a million training cases. Um, and so we are actually in our programs uh, studying how the very, very best learners learn. Uh, the very, very best learners are human infants. So we're actually engaged with psychologists to uh, uh, to as assess those things. So this is, uh, I'm going to just rattle through some programs uh, to give you an illustration. You can read about these on our website. Uh, so I'm, I'll go at lightning speed here. Uh, this is the program, what to do when the data is sparse and expensive, um, uh, learning with less. Um, this is a program uh, about human system symbiosis. Uh, we have individuals with uh, 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 certain fixed training time in, in their engagement, but an unbounded flow of, of new systems, new capabilities, new roles. Field medics, repair people, um, systems are always changing. And so the idea here is to build models uh, and present, provide just-in-time guidance uh, for the humans. Communicate just when necessary. See what the human sees. So there's a little bit of AR there. Uh, we're building on all those technologies. Uh, this is a AI versus AI versus AI, uh, in the sense that you can have a GAN. Did uh, you detect a GAN result using more AI? Uh, this detects deep fakes in images and videos. Um, uh, you know, manipulation in images. That flag was actually added in, kind of photoshopped in, um, uh, and this system detects that. And now we're moving uh, a little further along. Uh, taking the next step, adding in speech, uh, text, and narrative. Uh, so a few takeaways um, uh, that I'd like to highlight quickly. Um, this uh, illustration on the right first is our ACE air combat program. Uh, the AI beats the hotshot fighter pilots. Uh, the fighter pilots, uh, do they hate it? Well, they actually don't hate it um, uh, because they, they've learned a lot from it, and it is actually potentially changing um, uh, how these how these uh, uh, air combat engagements uh, are unfolding. Um, first is that AI and computing are not at a plateau, nor will they be anytime soon. This is really, really important. It's, it's not just that the chips are getting faster, it's that complexity is increasing, and software uniquely really has no asymptote. Um, the, the people curve uh, is still flat. You know, we're not any smarter than we were 100 years ago. But we've been able to improve our capacity to engineer these complex symbolic structures. Um, and, and that's why we're here at this, this meeting and pursuing uh, the improvement in our software uh, development uh, capability. You know, it's an interesting struggle. Uh, we start with creative activities that eventually get routinized. Uh, and then we take those routine activities. What's the next thing we do? We automate them. Well, we don't hit an asymptote. Instead, what we do is we move to the next level of complexity, the next level of abstraction, and we do this without limit. There, the laws of physics don't keep us down. So this is this funny conundrum, which is that because of this in software, the abstraction level keeps increasing, 
And our managers want us to routinize, but there will always be that frustration because the creativity keeps popping out. That's good. Okay. And there's a related point, which is in computing, uh, what matters is not what's new, but rather what has become timely. Um, many of the breakthroughs that we see popping into the scene, AI machine learning being one of them, but cloud, for example, cloud ideas were around back in the 1970s. Uh, it's just that if you look at all those exponential curves on the semi-log paper and see how they're plotted, uh, you see that at a certain point, cost effectiveness emerges, the algorithms are right, the use cases match, and, and, and then they, they suddenly pop into the scene. Um, second point is AI is not like other software. We don't know how to test it or inspect it. We don't know how to assess robustness. What's the specification for a machine learning net other than its training cases? Well, how do I extrapolate from those training cases? Okay. Um, a, a third point is, yeah, there's lots to do. You've just heard some thoughts on that. And then the fourth point is many, many applications for AI don't just focus on, on machine learning. So I've got five minutes left, and I'd just like to say a little bit about, about systems, what we're trying to do here, um, engineer systems to be resilient, uh, to operate through uh, when, when compromised, uh, because systems are getting more interconnected and more complicated and larger. Uh, security, by the way, here includes bolt-on security. Security people say, oh, don't do bolt-on security, you should build it in. Yes, of course, but often we have legacy, we need to be good at building it in. And then finally, adaptable. We want to be like SaaS. We want to be like DevOps, but for integrated systems with, with rich and complex supply chains. That's really hard. That's really hard. Uh, we're still moving away from a model that I call the uh, RDS model. Requirements, spend a year or two writing requirements, spend uh, three or four, five years developing things, test for a while, and then surprise, uh, that's not what we want. That's the requirements delay surprise model. We need adaptability. Uh, uh, from the defense perspective, we have adversaries who are nimble and capable. The technologies are moving quickly. The mission, therefore, has to move quickly. AI is a big piece of this. So uh, a quick illustration of some of our programs, uh, SafeDocs, um, systems exchange structured data with each other. This is a vector for infection uh, as well as for sharing data. Um, the natural processes, the data formats get enriched over time. We, we feature them up. Um, and so look at PDF. Uh, it's got incredible featuring, thousands of pages uh, in the ISO standards. It's a natural process. The other thing that happens is readers uh, of these formats become more resilient and accepting because the writers make small errors. Um, PDF is a canonical story, but there are lots of other examples. Uh, case, how do we build in cyber resiliency? How do we assess it? Treat it as a first-class property. Uh, move to the left in our timeline so we can evaluate it early and often um, and not find out only after we build the system that, whoop, it's not resilient. It's a little more fragile than we thought. Uh, vSpells is about software evolution. It's about recovering lost information uh, from legacy components. You know about, I'm sure you've all experienced this phenomenon of dark shadows and superstitions regarding legacy components that nobody understands anymore. You know, one of the reasons why we keep touching the code and refactoring it and fussing with it is that it, it keeps in our minds uh, the, the key intellectual assets of, of the models and intentions behind that code. Uh, well, in our world of legacy systems, that's really hard to do. So we have to be able to capture what we learn and then modify it appropriately. Okay, uh, a short autonomy. Well, 
for certain machine learning nets, it's actually possible to extract mathematical models. Uh, and then we can feed those models to solvers and build those into the usual body of evidence, not so usual, but the what we're seeing as an emerging uh, body of evidence that's linked in with all of our, our tools and other engineering data and connect those up. And this is an example here. These are underwater autonomous vehicles uh, that sniff around, sniff around on the ocean floor and then are meant to come home. Uh, and so they encounter unexpected uh, uh, phenomenon. And so they need to be able to operate autonomously. Okay, so I'm at the uh, almost at the end of my time, and I want to close with three summary points. Uh, first is that cyber adversaries are getting smarter. Uh, they're always on the prowl. So that means we have to get better at making systems more secure. AI makes this harder. So do diverse supply chains, components, services, tools, tools, operations, infrastructure, um, and, and often a lot of opacity in those supply chains. Uh, second point, uh, trustworthiness and assurance, therefore, are more important than ever. Uh, we should act on a bias uh, for evidence and trustworthiness over reputation and trust. You know, signed code may be authentic. You know it's authentic, but it could be authentically vulnerable. So uh, really, maybe software builders uh, could contemplate uh, what sort of claims they could offer uh, uh, to their to their clients and users, what evidence could be created to support those claims, um, and 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 clients and users should think about how to reward uh, those uh, making of claims and the evidence behind them, even if the evidence is attested only by a trusted third party, so that intellectual property is protected. Uh, the great thing about amassing evidence uh, in, in in concurrently with the engineering. Uh, is that we can more easily and more often pass evaluation gates. Uh, we identify and resolve uncertainties more quickly. Uh, this is why the engineering V, uh, which may be familiar to many of you, is simply doesn't work for software. A key tenet of DevOps is that continuous evaluation is key to continuous evolution. Software dies as soon as it starts, stops swimming. Uh, so we have to translate this, our challenge is to translate this into the world of, of systems integration with diverse supply chains. And finally, I'm going to reiterate my point about no plateau, because I think this is the most important takeaway. Um, you should always try to routinize, make your practice routine, and then on that basis, then to automate more and more. Um, uh, and of course, also stay open to evolution and advancement. As, as engineers, our, our creativity is our strength. Um, and so this flow from routine to automated keeps us more creative more of the time. And I think it's it's not an arrogant statement as a software person to say that in, in software, we're therefore having to be more creative more of the time than maybe perhaps other engineers. But we'll, we'll just treat that as a as a, as a hypothesis that we cannot really easily test. In any case, our systems uh, uh, um, are becoming more capable because we get better at dealing with complexity uh, and with trustworthiness, even though the, the human Moore's, car, Moore's law curve, as I pointed out earlier, has really stayed flat for a very long time. Um, so on this note, I will, I will close my talk and I'm happy to take questions. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. 
To register to the DevOps conference, go to thedevopsconference.com. If you have not already, please subscribe to our podcast and give us a rating on your platform. It means the world to us. Also, check out our other episodes for interesting and exciting talks. I say now, take care of yourself and see you in the DevOps conference.